Welcome to Cauldron of Worlds. Episode 18, Kingdoms, Societies, and Nations. Well, hello and welcome to Cauldron Worlds. I'm Chad Corey, and this is episode 18. It's kind of hard to imagine we've already gone through 18 episodes already in the series, but I guess we have. Before we get into this particular episode today, I want to take a quick little side note here and remind people that Triumph of the Wizard King will be coming out next month, August 31st. And that is the third book in the Wizard King trilogy, and obviously I'm kind of excited about that, getting out there and completing the series so people can have the uh, advantage of having the whole story and uh, enjoying it. And it will be out there in the three formats that the whole series has been in up until now, which would be the print, the audio, and the digital formats. So I would encourage you, if you want to, it is still available for pre-order, even all the way up until the day before, even the you know last minute of the 31st to get a hold of that. Or if you like, if, you, if I've done it myself, to go to the library and request them to uh, order a copy for you to take advantage of as well. It not only helps you, but also makes the book available for people who might not be aware of the book itself or the series itself and kind of give them a chance to take advantage of it and enjoy it as well. So I just wanted to thank everyone as well for all the help and encouragement that they've been uh, sending my way with the events that have been going on with the book tour and everything last for last book and stuff gearing up for this last book tour as well for book three and for everyone who's been supportive of the series i really appreciate it i think it's been going rather well i uh, miss everything else that's been going on this this last year and uh, this year in particular with books and bookstores and all that kind of fun stuff in general so i really do appreciate that thanks again for the support and uh, if you have any questions or comments as well for this podcast, might as well get that out of the way too up front. Uh, you can send them to cauldron at C A U L D R O N at chadcorey.com. Sometimes I forget to mention that in the episode. So, as long as I'm thinking about it, let's put it in there, a little information there for you guys to take advantage of. And feel free to send any questions, any comments, any things that you might want to know more about, in particular about world building or things that I might have said that maybe you wanted me to dig deeper into or. If you have questions on certain things, obviously we just got done doing a Q&A session recently, so uh, I'll be more than happy to incorporate those into another one in the future here, or just have comments in general about you know things you think about the podcast or things you might want to see in the future. That would help me in making sure I could you know, maybe better tailor the podcast, or maybe consider some things where it might be some, in need of some fixing up or tweaking here and there, and make sure everything is good for everyone taking part and listening to it. I think that will wrap up the little announcements here for this particular episode. So let's move right into our topic today, which, again, as is the custom, as you're familiar now of the past 17 episodes, is we're still doing the macro to a micro approach, but we're also looking at it from a more generic or uh, overview concept of what I'm presenting here. In other words, I'm not going to be able to get into super specifics on everything I talk about just because I don't know necessarily what you're looking to do for your world setting, and I don't want to go off on, on strange tangents that aren't going to benefit everyone, at least the majority-wise speaking. So today we're talking about kingdoms, societies, and nations. And you can probably argue on one hand that they're kind of similar and kind of the same thing, and you probably would be right on a lot of different levels. They share the same concepts, or not concepts, but the same components of what goes into making each individual 
terminology there. I mean, they all have a basic area of control or, or dominance or you know dominion, if you will. They all have it composed of some basic ideologies, some belief systems, some laws, orders, things of that nature, and they all usually contain people groups and organized in various structures and ways. So I guess you can say they, they kind of work together or kind of the same in many ways, and that's kind of why I wanted to group them together when talking about them, because you'll be using them for your world setting in similar ways, and they all kind of serve the same purpose on many different levels. Obviously, there's different purposes for them in the world building that we get in, we'll get into shortly here, but in general, there's, a, there's similar concepts and similar aspects in what they are used for in, in the basic sense of world building. That's what we'll be talking about first here. And that is how are you going to group people groups or organize, organize societies across your world setting. I know we've talked about different things before in the past about doing a map and things like that and using the map to kind of help define where you're going to place people groups or ancient societies or ancient empires or kingdoms or what have you. And I think that's a good way to start because a lot of times topography and geography make up the boundaries of, or at least the natural boundaries of an empire or a society or a people group, or they can in the very least define and refine the some of the core elements, I guess you can say, of a, a people group or a society. For instance, if you find that there's a very narrow strip of green, uh, fertile land in between a bunch of desert, that's probably where the people are going to congregate and develop, and that will give a big background to what they are as far as what they see the world as being. They basically are living on this thin strip of you know green space between an infinite desert, so to speak. They're going to have a definite worldview of what is good, what is bad as far as the climate, terrain, and things like that. And maybe they'll have to learn to live together more communally because, and more closely because there's less territory and land to to share, and that might lead to different ideas of how uh, political structures are developed. Maybe there's not a need for real rigid and, and, and higher-ranking hierarchies because everything is more communal, because they have such a small area to, to live within, and then they have to work together, and it's just more of a small-town, communal type of atmosphere and environments, maybe tribal or even just small tri- town governments or things might be a way to way to go. So you can see a lot of that, it kind of lends itself very quickly and very easily to what might be possible, what might be something you could develop just with simple things like geography. But now we're looking at taking that to the next level here and looking at the functions of kingdoms and the functions of societies and nations overall. Basically, when you come to a nation, a nation for in a very generic sense, again, a lot of this is going to be generic, is basically the, the, the common belief structure, the common language usually, or languages, if there's more than one multiple language that is the majority language, the common belief systems, like we said, which could be political, religious, like we talked about in earlier episodes, and the common group of the the population, what, what makes up that region. Again, this could be a heterogeneous or homogeneous mixture based upon the people groups and things that are living there. Maybe you have a bunch of, of humans that live there, so they're primarily a human group society. Maybe you have a combination of uh, like an elf and a, a human society, and there's kind of the blending of the two together, and that's so it's a more of a heterogeneous mixture of, uh, of people groups, and that defines the nation. But the nation, for the most part, if you want to think about our own world, it kind of just gives the uh, snapshot overview 
of what the the people that live there are about. That doesn't mean necessarily everyone, obviously, who lives in that nation has the exact same beliefs and and operates and thinks the same way, but it provides a window with which people who are outside of that community can get an understanding of who these people are and how they operate, how they think, and, and things like that. So when when I try and do nations just myself, I usually try and base them in part on a real-world component, whether it's something from the past, something from the modern day, you know, that kind of thing. And that gives us, we, we mentioned that before in previous episodes, using that as kind of a touchstone for different things. And a lot of this you'll already have figured out from making your races and, and creatures and things overall. So you'll probably just be able to carry that through into this part of the, the world design process. But if you haven't done that, I just said pick, pick a culture or thing that you think is, is applicable, you want to have some fun with, and use it as kind of an, an, an element of your your world part as far as the nations go. And that will define, just by taking that on, that will give you some tips and uh, ideas of what they are believing for as a, as a nation, what they function as, as far as their goals or aspirations and how they see the world. You can probably get a pretty good snapshot just by using some of the stereotypes from that that culture and twisting them how you want to to make your own unique nation. You know, for example, if you had a, a Greek nation or a nation that was based more on the, the Greco uh, mindset or culture, you're probably going to have one that's more individualistic, more artistic perhaps, or maybe more warlike, If you're depending upon which of the city-states you're, you're looking at. You're also going to look at one that's probably very highly, highly developed and intellectual perhaps, so that you're already beginning to see areas where you kind of see a, a developed higher society kind of thing. Maybe you're looking at a mercantile type of thing, so they're very into the, the merchandise and, and commerce and things like that. Maybe they're a mercantile empire. And, and what they want to achieve, maybe they already are there. So again, you can see how these, just by picking different flavors and things, you begin to develop a, a worldview for that. One thing I do try to encourage, and this would be with, with kingdoms and with nations, is develop a, a type of uh, heraldry or, or crest for that empire, nation, city, what have you. Because it really does help in defining them even more, and it helps in defining a, a part of their story. Because there's obviously a story with why why they have this symbology on their their crest or their flag or whatever you're using for, for their symbol. You can obviously go into history in the past and see where a lot of the, the, the flags and things we use today were created the way they were. And that actually adds another flavor and another layer of believability and history and interactivity potential with that nation or kingdom in general. For instance, maybe there is a big battle that took place, and the battle took place with a giant sea serpent. And this was you know, the Mercantile Empire, shall we say, for our previous example. And the, 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 the leader of the city or society fought this giant sea serpent and took the head as a, as a trophy, maybe took the scales or the gut of the thing and used its body to make some armor out of or, or cape or something special that was used to mark the, the standing of the individual as the king or chieftain or whatever the case might be. But So then it gives you a reason why maybe there's a, a twisting sea serpent on a, a blue flag, like a white twisting sea serpent on a white flag. Maybe it was a white sea serpent or something or the, whatever. It just gives you an idea of why they have that on their their flag. And it's kind of a fun origin story. It's kind of a fun touchstone people can relate to. And maybe that's something now that they that it symbolizes now the nation's resilience and, and willing to conquer the sea and to stand 
tall and never give, you know, surrender to anything and beat off nature whenever we're going to be the masters of our domain. Whatever you can, you know, extrapolate from that, whatever you can stretch it out to, to the best of your ability, it provides another touchstone. And it's also a very fun visual representation of that nation. It's a fun way that people see it. They think, oh, they, they, they don't always have to have that background story in their mind when they know about it, but it just provides a unique image to things that I think really adds a touch of reality and fun and connect, like I said, connectivity to, to any world setting or any nation in the world you're creating. And again, I don't know if that's done to a great extent on a lot of the modern fantasy things. I'm sure it is with many places, but I know in everything that I do, I try and create, like I said, as much as I can about a believable uh, symbology and, and crest and, and things for different people groups and stuff because it does have a, a, a powerful powerful resonance with us as well in the modern day, given our flags and, and the symbols that we have as well for nations and stuff. And, you know, it's not just flags. I mean, you've got the American Eagle. we got the seals and crests of all the various departments and offices, and each state has their own flag in, in the United States. I mean, it's there's there's different historical components and elements and reasons why everything is done they are and it's just it's it's a nice way to like i said make another layer and aspect of that world setting that you might not necessarily have without it so that's basically the national concept of things with the society thing society is kind of similar to the the national but society goes into other elements of more personal interrelations, more personal belief systems and functionalities of, of what we are as a people, what we hope to achieve. And that can be different than the national aspirations, although the two will usually overlap. For instance, you, you usually people in, in, like I'm just saying, again, this is very generic, but, you know, for America, the general concept with the national ideas, you know, we're individualistic and we're, you know, pioneering kind of things. We like to do things and do big things and stuff like that. And so then that's the national level. But maybe in the society you, you have, it could also depend on where that society is in that nation. If, if it's a big multi-ethnic empire or if it's a big multinational empire kind of thing, maybe there's a combination of different societies that make up that nation or empire or kingdom. And so there's going to be a combination of different societies that are blending together to make this empire, kingdom, slash, whatever work. And the society, like I said, is, is could be very localized. It could be a larger extent of that as far as, you know, like a large community, like a state or something like that. But that's going to be the overall composition of people's values and belief systems. Their moral code, I guess you can say in a way, of what they think is and isn't appropriate and what their aspirations are for any quote-unquote good individual of that society. And that, again, is a very nebulous topic. It can go all over the place <laughs> as far as what is and isn't applicable, though I would say that is going to be heavily influenced and a lot of input is going to come from that based upon people's reactions to whatever the prevailing belief system is in that region or that culture or that society. So, for instance, we talked about that, you know, some episodes back, maybe if they have a philosophical mindset or that's the predominant worldview is a philosophical one, that's going to probably influence, if not entirely shape, what they think is good as a society and as a group. You can also have some fun with that by bringing together some historical elements, again, using your touchstones and things like that from uh, cultural influences from the, the real world, you can incorporate into that. So maybe, for instance, you have, again, going back to the sea culture, maybe they really came from more like a Viking-like society originally. 
and the you know, settlers and colonizers and things like that. And maybe another aspect of them was a, a, like a Phoenician type of thing with these sea traders. And so you had this interesting amalgam of the, the Viking exploration and conquest and battle and things like that, but also blending in with the commerce and um, colonizing aspect of the Phoenicians and a little bit of the Vikings as well. And so you have this unique society now that is obviously very heavily interested in, in seafare and sea trading and, and things of that nature, but maybe they have a very high personal honor code where they want to you know, keep their word, they're very honorable in what they do, their orders are bond, they're very self-sufficient. And so looking upon you know, the, the state to take care of them maybe not maybe would not be a good thing for them in their in their mindset, you know, just for an example. But then you also have the Phoenicians, and so they want to make money, and they want to do well, and they want to be prosperous. So, I mean, it's, it's an inter- interesting combination, like I said, you can do and then combine some things. And that could change throughout history, because maybe there are situations where the previously prevailing dominant worldview was kind of uh, not defeated, but kind of given a blow of, of uh, temporary setback and a war or a challenge that came up that, made people reevaluate what they what they really thought was good for society and that could change and develop into something completely different. So there's a lot of things that, that could change and tweak over time as well with the with that society. So again, I don't want you to think it needs to be necessarily uh, boring and, and static, but it could definitely be dynamic and fluid as far as it could change you know every so many generations as they get new cultural interactions, incorporate new people's beliefs have new challenges, like I said, a whole bunch of different things that can go into it. And that keeps it kind of, like I said, more open and a real world and dynamic and flowing. But usually even in those situations where things are more subject to change and alteration, there is usually a, you know, a handful of core elements that usually stay the same or, or for the most part are consistent throughout the entirety of, of the society. And what those things are for you, that's going to be up to you. Again, it's your your society, your people that you're making but, you know, that's just some things I share that I've learned over the years here doing stuff that seems to work really well for me, and I think it could work really well for you. Now, with the kingdoms and empires, and that's that's the political structure, how everything is set up, how everything is, is run, and uh, how it runs in general. And again, there are just a lot of types of government, types of societies, I mean, types of political structures and things that... I'm not really going to take the time in this episode to get into, simply because, number one, I think it'd be very boring. <laughs> number two, I don't know what you'd like to do. I would just say if you, plenty of that information is online, so you can go online, check it out, take advantage of it, Google it, see what maybe is applicable for you, and maybe you can do some different alterations. I mean, even with our own our own government, which you know technically is a constitutional republic, you can have different forms of that. I mean, there's constitutional monarchies, there's constitutional democracies, there's constitutional, you know, whatever. You can throw out there and mix it up. Or maybe you want to have a kingdom. Well, there's different types of kingdoms, you know, different types of empires. There's different types of uh, all sorts of different things. You know, there's communism, socialism, all sorts of things that you can look at and incorporate into the societies. Now, obviously, like I said before, what you're doing with these cultural touchstones and things for your societies and people groups in general, originally, if that's the way you went, would probably influence some levels of how you went about doing government. Not necessarily, but that might give you an idea of what you could do or maybe do in opposition to what you would think their government should be. So again, if we're using the Phoenician Viking mix there for our previous example... 
their Vikings usually were more individualistic, but they had a king. You, you know, sometimes in the history they had a king. A lot of times they had more tribal, you know, chieftains and things like that. Again, depending upon the history, where they were and what they were doing and stuff like that. But you, you have more of a not necessarily a strong central government, but you had more of a localized kind of government. Whereas the Phoenicians started out as a very strong city-state, but they were kind of answerable to a larger, I guess you can call it a, a multinational, maybe multi-ethnic type of empire system where they basically spanned the whole Mediterranean parts, of, you know, the coastline area there. But they, they were independent cities, but they were all kind of connected and, and worked together in, in different ways. So it's, again, a different way to take on that. You can mix it up and maybe you can have like a Carthage type of situation where it's you have little colonies, little mini-cities, mini-states that are answer, answerable and under the subjection of a larger big city, but they're still independent in some ways, maybe more like a, a federal type of society where you have kind of like in some parts of the United States where you have the, you know, the smaller states in conjunction with a larger grouping with the United States, and they're all kind of independent, but yet they work together and are kind of subject to the larger federal government. So Again, it's just different ways of looking at that. You could totally make that different and maybe have something completely changed around where they are just all independent, or they could be a complete big, huge empire that's totally you know top-down, centralized, and strong kind of thing. So again, it really depends on what you want for the flavor and feel and what works best for your world setting and kind of what works best for the geography too, because a lot of that will inform you about what could be done. One of the reasons why the, the ancient Greeks were so individualistic and so you know city-state oriented was because the mountainous regions in which they lived kind of prohibited a lot of uh, consistent interaction and the ability to keep keep and maintain control over a larger region even outside of their individual city-state. So the topography of the geography actually worked in their favor to kind of keep them localized and, and focused on that extent. But you look at other places like Rome or even you know the, the Maya, the Aztecs, things like that, where they had more open area in which to operate and do things. It, it kind of changed the dynamic of how they grew and developed in their, their political structure and empire structure as well. So I think that is kind of where we're going to wrap things up today for this episode. I, again, I'm would like to maybe share more in greater detail, but I just don't want to bore you. <laughs> I don't want to get into things that might necessarily might not be of a help to you. But hopefully what I shared is of a benefit to you. And if anything else is maybe giving you some food for thought about what you want to do for your particular world setting and kind of go from there and again, research it in the areas and ways that make sense to you. Otherwise, thanks again for listening. I do appreciate it. And we'll see you again next episode. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved.